Now, one can argue that uh, the number one reason an AI initiative could fail uh, is poor product team structure. And as the main focus on today's episode with my guest, Jacob Chinina. Now, Jacob currently is in product leadership at Meta. He has led product strategy and built AI teams at many different companies, including Oracle and Adobe. And uh, he's built end-to-end teams and set up the strategy for all of those. So it's probably best poised to talk about this topic. So without any further ado, let's get right into it with Jacob. Hey, I'm your host, Cyrus Shirazian, and welcome to PM Hub Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing you fresh and unique insights from product leaders and tech entrepreneurs. All right, Jacob, welcome to PM Hub, man. Thank you. Happy to be here. For sure, for sure. So I'm very excited, Jacob, to chat with you today about structuring AI teams. But, you know, uh, product itself is such a novel thing, yet also the AI comes into the game. So I'm, I'm very curious if you'd want to share with the listeners, you know, your journey into building AI products. For sure. My journey of my career into building AI products is similar to the journey that many startups go through. And that is they start out with one idea of what they think uh, will be most interesting or more valuable. And then as they discover things about themselves, about the customers, about the market, and they make rapid pivots here and there, they finally land on something that bring is more aligned with that product market fit. I started out as a in computer science and data science and fell in love with the data and thought I might be in the track of a data scientist. But then I found that I also was very drawn and very there was lots of gaps in terms of different data science initiatives and how they were really able to impact the business, how they were able to align with meaningful customer use cases and strategy. I then started doing my own startup as a, as a founder, a technical founder of a, an AI analytics startup. It was based on some gaps that I had seen in the market. There were no, simply no analytics tools that provided what I needed and many other marketing teams needed. And I did that for some time and, and then had the opportunity. I, I learned that there were some serious emerging trends in the industry that could put my business, my startup at risk. And at that point I joined Adobe um, uh-huh. and as a, originally as a software engineer, but then found also this sweet spot where I could be a kind of a bridge builder between the data science team and also the product team. Since lots of the initiatives that were being brought forth by the data science team were very technical, hard to understand for some folks. And since I had uh, that experience being a startup founder, understanding the strategy, the go-to-market, the customer use cases, et cetera, and also that skill set in, in, in data science, I was able to play a, a good role bridging the gap between data science and the, the, the overall product strategy. And I started calling myself an AI product manager kind of early before that became much of a thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I created a YouTube channel about AI product management. My, my YouTube channel is called Strategic AI with uh-huh. Jacob Chinina. There, I, the reason I call it this is because there's definitely lots of AI and data science that's 
not necessarily super strategic. It's very uh, interesting, but I'm very interested and want to help evangelize AI and data science that drives meaningful impact, meaningful business impact. And that's really the mission of my channel and the mission of my career ever since. Very cool. I'll be sure to add the link in the description to your channel as well. I guess I guess myself, before I got connected to you, I actually watched one of your videos. So I definitely like, like them a lot. So <laughs> uh, thanks for putting it thanks. out there. Awesome. So Thanks for sharing your thoughts and, and, and kind of like your journey into uh, AI products makes perfect sense. Now, moving on to the topic itself, Jacob, you know, what kind of skill sets, you know, because a typical product team is, uh, you know, you have, you have, you know, a UX designer, UX researcher, you have uh, probably a team of engineers, most likely, and also there's a PM and uh, kind of that's, that's the basic like, formats of a, you know, typical product team in a sense. So I'm curious for AI products. How would it change? What kind of additional different skill sets you would need on, on, the, on a kind of an AI product team? Yeah, definitely. So in one of my courses that I'm kind of zooming out a little bit, and one of my courses that I'm right now developing in, in partnership with Product Alliance, it's it's on AI product management. I've, I've built AI products at Adobe. I've built AI products in my startup at Oracle and through new, different consulting projects for, for many other startups and fintech across the space, across uh, di different industry verticals. And I, I'm, what, what I've really learned about having seen successful AI initiatives and many failed AI initiatives, that the number one reason that an AI initiative or AI you know, product vision might fail is this, it's very simple, it's it's poor product management. So we, we get very excited about building AI products um, and somehow, sometimes people think that it's, since it's AI, it's gotta be driven by, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's different from company to company. Some AI initiatives are driven by the data science team, some are drif driven more from the engineer grassroots engineering team, data teams, analytics teams that are kind of evolving into something more data science, but fundamentally, AI initiatives fail because of poor product management. And even though there are many seasoned product managers that I've seen, uh, some of them still have not yet mastered these basics. Like one of, I, there's another podcast I really like, uh, it's Maggie from Drift. She has a podcast called Build and she recently said, like her goal for 2021, and this really resonates with me, is just to get back to the basics. So tying this back into your, your question here, building an AI product team, you still need a lot of the same ingredients that you need to make a regular product successful. That is, you need someone that's a domain expert. You need someone who understands the customers. You need someone that understands those needs. So product management is, is a key ingredient of this. You also need uh, da a data, t the data science kind of gets a little bit abused as a term. Um, especially if you look at companies like Facebook, for example, they all have the, the Facebook has like five different flavors of people organ in, in their HR and their org system. They have very different compensation ranges and very different skill sets. 
Uh, and uh, here's sort of my breakdown. You've got data engineers. They've got experience with big data, data processing, ETL, et cetera. That's kind of, you know, this is, I'm doing a workflow here. That's where it starts, right? You have no AI if you don't have data. So the data engineers b bring your data into some sort of structured place where you can start working with it and start doing something interesting. Then you've got your machine learning engineers. Uh, and this is people that are very strong in a production environment. They can push code. They're very experienced coders. And they also understand how to use those machine learning models. These are some of, in terms of just getting some AI concepts out of the door and just being very lean, these are some of the, I really like working with the machine learning engineers. There's your more traditional data scientist. They might come from a research background. They might have a PhD uh, be, you know, truly, uh, lots of the cutting edge things in data science have been pioneered by the research community. So if you if you compare this to, for example, front end development, front end technologies uh, have were not pioneered in academia, but in D, the D, GPUs and these deep learning, deep neural networks. So this it was pioneered from academia, and I do see a value in having. Uh, you don't all. It doesn't always have to be in the form of some structured, um, some structured, uh, you know, master's degree or PhD. But the the truth is, is that there is a great value. Like the the leaders in the space are coming out of academia. Uh, the one trade off is that many people that lots of data scientists at this point are are very that have those skills and deep neural networks coming out of academia or just if they're self-taught, um, they are uh, often earlier in their careers and they may not be, I've worked with many data scientists uh, that are, and I've heard from many other people that they are not necessarily as strong because if you're a PhD for six years, you may not be as strong or as comfortable yet in you know, pushing code to production. So that, that a little bit more of a research focus there. And, and each company it really depends on what your needs are, what your resources are. So you kind of can pick and choose from these different types of data scientists to build a custom data science team that really meets the needs of your company, your goals. And, and then yours, there's your analyst or your product analyst. And this is, they're using more data visualization technologies, data storytelling, really trying to describe those customer insights, strong understanding of stats, statistical significance, A-B testing, et cetera. So it really depends if you're on, on how uh, the, the life cycle, if, if you're doing something, working on a very mature product, let's say something like Twitter or Facebook, the analytics and that A-B testing comes to be uh, very, very important since you're making more incremental changes and really need to compare different things. If you're in an enterprise setting where you're building lots of features from scratch, um, the product analytics might, you know, can come in later, but you definitely need someone that can wrangle data, push things to production and having a product manager who has, uh, you, you know, some familiarity, I think in AI and in, in AI is very, very valuable. I was, you know, I've met with some senior some senior uh, engineering leaders that have experience in AI and they uh, I've, I've heard some comments like oh you, you know you have some folks that come in and they say oh this here is our AI roadmap and they're pitching these use cases that 
really don't even need AI. This is kind of a, a pitfall that some folks fall into. Oh, <laughs> yes, we're, we're going to have this data science thing that predicts X, Y, Z. And it's kind of like using a, a, a drill when you can really use a screwdriver. So I think that you've, it's, it, it is challenging. It's a new emerging space. But it, at some level, you need some sort of renaissance men and women that can be a little bit well-rounded data scientists that understand a little bit about product and having product people that know a little bit about data science and AI can definitely help round and facilitate that collaboration process. Cool. No, thanks for elaborating on that. So I guess my, my, as a PM, my next natural question is like, if I, if I wanted to work on AI products, like, do I need to have the experience per se building those or can I just like, you know, brush up on some skills and then kind of like pick, pick some courses up and then kind of like, then be, be good at kind of like be able to, if you will, and be good at building AI products. Yeah. So I think that there are some really great ways to break into building AI products. And I'm going to give uh, a break, an overview of some of the most common AI products. And in my AI product management course, which I'll be launching here soon, it, we, we, go, we do hands-on projects in each of these. So one of them is predictive segmentation. This is really simple. This is basically predicting what your customers are going to want, what they are going to do. And lots of this predictive analytics, machine learning is, is you're using your data to make predictive outcomes. And this can be used for personalization. It can be used for recommendation systems. So I, I call that category predictive segmentation. And I'm not really using the technical like if you ask a data scientist, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not breaking this down by algorithms. This is use cases. Uh -huh. This and, and within predictive segmentation, I'll tell you the most common AI product feature that has I have seen implemented at so many companies and is a, a customer lifetime value predictor. Why does this happen? Because your data science teams they get access to the data. You have some sort of if you're profitable, you've got, or, or if you, you have revenue, I should say, you have some sort of purchases and you have behavioral data, what can you, what, what do you care about? You care about money. You care about making more money and you've got customer data about who they are, maybe features, some, some analytics and what they've used. So this being able to pri I'd predict and detect patterns in terms of how, what behaviors are correlated with long-term value. This is machine learning. This is, you can call this AI and it's, it's a very common use case. And it's basically the why, the, the reason I'm calling this predictive segmentation is because you are predicting what segments or customer buckets that they should belong in. And so that you can begin to craft that personalized experience around those predictive patterns that you see. So that's one predictive segmentation. The next one is natural language processing. This is, how are you using words? This is Google search. When you are seeing, you're typing something there into the search bar. This is also when you're searching for things on Amazon. There's, how does Amazon know what you're looking at? Is it because you're using some sort of, you know, numerical complex SQL language to tell Amazon what you're looking for? No, you're just using human language words to tell Amazon, hey, I'm looking for skis 
that are, you know, this size, these size and this color. Is your, that is a, a huge part. It has so many use cases. A lot, this kind of bridges into intelligent assistance, which is the third category here. Intelligent assistance, you've got chatbots, you've got virtual agents. You, when you call in, I'm sure you've had some really great experiences where you it's even might be more convenient, faster than talking to a human, and other really not so great experiences. But uh, you, you've got your Alexa, you've got what one within this vein, one feature that we worked on at Adobe is uh, I, I was working on Adobe Sensei, which is sort of like our, Adobe's version of Einstein or Watson, this AI uh, assistant. And you can talk to uh, Adobe Sensei using an Alexa integration and you can say, hey, hey, Adobe, Adobe Sensei, how much revenue are we making on Black Friday? How much revenue did we make on Black Friday? And it, it, you, it uses Alexa then goes, talks to Adobe and Adobe translates those, those words into uh, a query that then figures out how much revenue you made on Black Friday or how much, how much, uh, how much traffic you got on your website, a variety of different basic analytics questions. And it will answer in human language. Lots of uh, business executives love this feature because if you're in a heated boardroom discussion, you don't have time to go navigate and click around on 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 looking for the right analytics report and, and seeing how you're interpreting it and flipping the screen around. You just ask Sensei, boom, there in the boardroom. Everyone carries the answer within within seconds. So that time to insight is that that's this is sort of another example, but this is in within the bucket of intelligent assistance. There are many, many, many more examples. That's another big bucket. Uh, lots of some people are are, are estimating that you know, by 2025, that one third of people of, of the economy or 20, 2030, I, some range here in the near future, one third of the economy are going to be digital, digitized virtual agents. I think some of these predictions are a little bit over ambitious, but needless yeah. to say, uh, human, there is a gr huge opportunity to automate a lot of these things, these that require manual step-by-step -step processes. Um, and then my fourth category here is computer vision. Like how, how does AI map to the real human world? You've got self-driving cars, you've got uh, manufacturing facilities where you've got cameras that detect uh, defects in the manufacturing process and it uses AI. You've got inventory system. You can see how many pallets are being uploaded and unloaded. Manufacturing has so much opportunity for optimization, things that are being really very mundane, routine, manual, things that are can be automated with AI. You've got drones that can fly around over, over uh, you know, farms and detect, see, gauge the water levels, uh, see little, detect, use high resolution images to find little bugs crawling around and see, using Optim optimization algorithms to spray just the amount of pesticide on so that you're not putting too much on. So using you know, increasing crop yield and being green for the world and for, uh, you know, keeping things sustainable. Uh, so that's, that's computer vision. And I think that's a huge, massive uh, place that's just barely getting started. So th there, those are some of the, the main buckets and I think that if I if I were trying to get into AI product management, uh, and that's really the, the goal of my course, and why I was very deliberate to have projects, hands-on projects in each of these in each of these areas, 
is to help people gain experience in the most common, the most trending areas of AI products that are, are emerging right now. That's very exciting, man. And like, this is really good breakdown you gave us. Now, going back to the org structure and like, you know, as, as an organization, and you are also touched upon this as well, like, how do you assess what kind of old, what kind of roles do you need on your uh, on your team and like how many of each role? Like how do you go about figuring that out? Because you mentioned a couple of different roles. I'm curious to know like how does the assessment work? Yes. So right now there is, I have talked to a, a number of staffing agencies that hire specifically people in AI. And right now, let's go. If you go back five, three to five years ago, there was a huge scarcity of data scientists. Uh, there have been uh, lots of online courses that have cropped up, and lots of people are coming out of uh, their 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 education programs with those data science backgrounds. And that there's still definitely a lot more that needs growth that needs to happen there. But the response there has been fairly quick. Uh, compared to another area, which is, is is even more has even more scarcity, and that is in people that have a hybrid skill set of AI and uh, that can under can can fluidly go back and forth between data science and product management. There, you don't need to be an expert. The way I say, you need to have a, a functional understanding of AI and. This is the type of, if you have a product that where AI is a core part of your product, you need someone, you need some sort of person in the leadership role who can spearhead that and be fluid across product and across, you know, have some foundational skills in data and and ideally machine learning. And that is, and and I, I should back up here. So this is the type of person that you need. For if AI is a core part of your product, then there's there's two options here, and that is AI is a core part of your product, or two, you're sprinkling AI features onto your whatever your current offering is. And if you're just sprinkling AI onto your onto your existing product versus making AI a core part of your product, then the need to be may not be as uh, deep to have some sort of that that hybrid leader that can fluidly go back and forth between those two areas. And l- there's also a third bucket here where you're just using AI as hype. Uh, and I've seen some, I've been truly amazed. I've seen some companies that do an amazing job at positioning themselves as, oh yeah, we have all this data science and AI. And then I've come in as in, in a consulting advisory function and they they disclose you know the data scientists and the product team disclosed to me that their amazing predictive algorithm that lots of VCs and are investing in and is creating so much customer traction really is only incorporating three data points. I I was completely shocked and blown away when I heard this. I was like, wait, it doesn't your 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 algorithm that you're you know pitching everywhere only uses three data points, but it doesn't matter what. It doesn't even matter like if you have the most amazing deep neural network, convolutional neural network with 50 layers that has been optimized 100 different ways. If you're only using these three data points, there's no way that even the best algorithm in the world could discern some sort of pattern that would be very meaningful there. And But those companies, 
Um, as I say, they still create lots of traction by branding and positioning themselves. Will 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 things eventually catch up with them? Maybe maybe it will, <laughs> but there is a you know there is some uh, respectability that you know there people are human. Branding, positioning, marketing is still a, a huge part of how people think, and there definitely is uh, an opportunity to go that route. Um, I pref- you know I try to in my courses and in the way that I position my career is either helping you know products that are not don't have that much AI get a lot more AI meaningful impactful AI into their products or partnered with companies where AI is just a core part of those products. Those are the two buckets that I focus on, but there still is an opportunity to have a not so sophisticated data product team uh, and really gain a lot of traction through that marketing and hype. Yeah, it's, that's uh, thanks for breaking that. Actually, a third one, like AI as a hype, was is really funny. I think I've heard of those stories as well. And uh, just just it's an algorithm, and basically, as you mentioned, and then you will leverage that for, to to raise some money, which is kind of crazy. But it's a black box a lot, so uh, not surprising, right? So, <laughs> um, yes, yes. There's there's lots of uh, there's lots of opportunity in just that bucket alone. <laughs> <laughs> because people because there's not that many people that understand it they just don't understand it and that's why it's so uh, you know there is this need for people to deepen we need more of those hybrid leaders those people that can be the renaissance women the renaissance men that can understand the the data that can understand the business and that can help really be uh, drive a lot more impactful ai and innovative ai initiatives that bring more lasting value than just just that hype. For sure, for sure. So you mentioned that, you know, really how in terms of assessing what kind of roles you need, you really need to look at, you know, the use case is the core product versus just an addition on top. So is, I'm curious to know, is there any kind of generic ratios between different headcounts? Like for example, like the, like for, for example, they say for uh, each 10 developers, you need one PM, something like that. So I'm curious to know, like, is, are there some uh, ratios between like the, the different kind of headcounts you would need, uh, no ma- kind of like in a generic basic basis, if you will? Yes, yes. I'll, I'll, I really like Amazon's two pizza rule. I like to keep things agile, small. This is not always possible, especially in larger organizations. And once you have these massive data pipelines, I've worked on some AI projects that have you know 20 30, 25 years. but if you're if you're let's say you're, you're launching some new ai feature you're testing things out you want to be agile you've got a team of eight you've got one pm you've got one ux designer you've got one data scientist uh, and then you've got your five other engineers including back end and front end I'm, I'm seeing lots of companies that are kind of splitting out the ai product people are are being split and they are just doing pure, they don't have UX resources. They don't have front end resources. If you're building an AI, something where you can do, you can, you can do, oh, you can be okay without your UX and your front end. And you just partner with other engineering teams that will help provide that. Uh, But I I do see a great value in terms of getting AI products to market a lot faster if you do have a full stack product team, especially if you're launching a recommender system. Think about a recommender system. It's something that you see with your eyes and you're going to want to test it. When I was creating one of my first recommender systems, you've got 
just minor, minor tweaks to the algorithms in the back end have major different manifestations in terms of how, you know, what customers are seeing. Are they finding what's useful? Are they able to, the, the, the user experience have massive implications based on that back end. And I've found just way faster to be full stack. It's not the case for many of them. Um, and then once again, as I said, if you're building an AI platform, on the other hand, then you, you're, you're, and what an AI platform fundamentally is, is that you're, you're, instead of building one-off features, okay, you've got five use cases. One of them is predicting when you send an email to someone, one of them is predicting what content you should send in that email. This is just a mar marketing tech use case uh, that's, that's, uh, you know, that many, many marketing platforms where they're applying AI and that rather than building a, a data, a pipeline, a feature engineering set and algorithms for five different features, a lot of that core data set is going to be the same. And so lots of companies are seeing opportunities. Um, you know, if you look at, for example, Uber, Uber, they, they have this platform called the Michelangelo platform. There's also Netflix and B, they all and they've posted that since they're B2C companies, this is not like some secret sauce thing. You can just go, they, they post their companies are, are kind of trying to copy these architectures. And fundamentally, what it is is hey, I, I have 11 different AI features that I can build instead of building 11 data pipelines and 11 different data scientists. I can just consolidate that all, all that customer data in one place, use an API to expose it to you know all of those 11 different features where you're going to predict different things and you're going to have different customer experiences but you're just using one pipeline instead of 11 redundant pipelines and in that case you may not need if you if you are the AI PM that is PMing that data platform in that case you may not need to be full stack because you're essentially creating a product that is empowering of a handful of other PMs, your organization. Yeah, yeah, no that that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, now you know when when you think about like a you know a simplified workflow of of building an AI product, you know we have the as you mentioned, you're gonna identify the problem, you're gonna source the data, you're gonna prep that data, you're gonna build the model, you're gonna deploy and monitor, right? So at each of these stages, uh, if you will, the workflow of the, you know, building an AI product, you have different headcounts, you know, as you mentioned, data engineers, product managers, data scientists, they're kind of like software engineers, they're kind of involved in it. So I'm curious to know, like in terms of managing this workflow, like how do you go about that? What's what's the best way that they can kind of, because I can imagine it's kind of, kind of asynchronous in terms of the work that they do from like, you know, problem identification to prepping the data to building a model. What, what, what has worked in your experience? In terms of the best workflow, it should be a collaborative process. Instead of having department A hand things off to department B and C, which often happens if you have research making proposals or data science or PM pitching ideas, it's a lot more effective to really zoom in on what your customer problem is. This is really just getting back to the basics of product management one-on-one. -on -one. This means that you're doing customer discovery calls with a product manager, a UX designer, an engineering lead all together so that they can have a common understanding of what the customer needs and what their world looks like 
so that you can collaboratively create a product that is focused on those needs. The difference with creating an AI product is that you want a data science person, either your machine learning engineer, your researcher, your data scientist, to be, have a seat there at the table. It, this means you might have four people. I've done some customer discovery calls with five different people on a call. Uh, it can get a little bit awkward, but if you want to get the speed things up, having that each of those representatives participating in the collaborative design process can be a lot faster. I've done it the other ways. I've done things where, you know, we're handing things off from one department to the next. This is simply not considered a best practice. Marty Kagan in how to create products that customers love. He, in his workshops and in his books, he really stresses the importance of getting out of a sequential design process and doing a a collaborative design process and the same absolutely apply applies to building intelligent AI products. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and, and, and given the fact that there is this data, data, <clears throat> data piece into it, I think, uh, what, what you're saying is that we still want to have to make sure that there's that continuous discovery and delivery, uh, whether you want to call it dual track, uh, triple track, whatever, Agile in in a, in a sense that you know it's not that waterfall kind of hands off between the two, right? Absolutely. Perfect. So, Jacob, uh, from your experience, like, um, if you wanted to share with our listeners some some kind of lessons learned uh, on on building and structuring uh, AI teams, what would those be? Yes, great question. I think one of my biggest lessons learned here is to not opti- over-optimize early in the process. Many, I've been in a PhD program, I've written papers, and many data scientists are trained to approach their AI products in a similar fashion to writing a research paper which is you do background research, you find some way to make a new model that's better than every other paper that has been published. And this means you're going to be incorporating lots of little optimizations and you're going to be doing lots of improvements. And some researchers, they might, and data scientists, they might spend six, six months, sometimes a year, crafting a model that is absolutely publishable, that is distinct and better than every other algorithm that may have been created previously. But then uh, once you start after putting this model into production for a recommender feature or an intelligent assistant or for some computer vision use case, you might find that you've totally over-optimized for something that the customers really just don't need. So I think that in terms of my biggest lessons is to be lean to, to, to do all these prototype tests uh, and just be, you know, even if your model is not perfect, you can just go grab some off the shelf uh, machine learning algorithms, some personalization algorithm that you can just find them on GitHub and then just show, show the data to the customer, show the output, just try to fake it early on and then see what customers say. And you might find that certain very costly optimizations 
are completely unnecessary or you need to focus your your efforts on something completely different. So in terms of structuring that team, uh, some this idea of lean startup, of being agile, of being fast is, is, is new to lots of data teams. And as a AI product leader, it's your role to help set those expectations to, to align on those goals. And before you jump into those weeds of building and designing your AI product, just defining a constitution of collaboration. Like, hey, how will we collaborate? What are the rules of the game? What are our design principles? What are we optimizing for? What are our goals? Oh, setting some of these, these things that might sound super basic do get very often overlooked. And they can dramatically, conversations that might only take a couple hours can save you many months in terms of time to market and being, seeing overall success with your AI product teams and your AI product initiatives. No, I love that. I love that. Going back to the MVP and being lane. Thanks for sharing. Last question. I guess it's a funny one, if you will, like in a sense, uh, in artificial super intelligence, you know, when, when the bots will. Uh, kind of outsmart us humans. What are your thoughts on it? You know, are they going to take over? Robot, sorry, if you can cut my stuttering out. Artificial intelligence <laughs> is very inferior to human intelligence. Humans are so incorporate so much more data. Theoretically, you could create an AI that does a lot of the same things that a human does. But just creating some of the AI features that I've created, just building the data pipeline, uh, it might take six months for you know, a larger AI platform, sometimes, sometimes more. And the, the, the volume of data might be gigabytes. But compared to the data that a human being has out of the box, as they walk around and perceive their environment, as they feel emotions, as they feel the, you know, the, 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 these emotional factors that you simply can't ex create enough variables, extract them, warehouse them uh, to do the creative tasks that humans do. I, that being said, about 40% of the jobs in the economy are very mundane. They're very repetitive. They're, you know, step one, check this. Step B, like document processing, for example. Uh, lots of the these, if you're applying for a loan, for example, you just upload information about how much money you make, and you've got people there that are just looking at this, and they're just looking, reading out information out of text fields. This is completely automatable. It's completely repetitive. It's not involving a whole lot of. It's 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 completely operational. They're, they don't need this human to apply any creativity. They only need them to accurately execute in reading the information that is there. So those types of job functions are totally at risk at being automated and taken over, let's say, by super artificial intelligence. But if you are a product manager, your job will never be automated because you are doing something that is creative. You are incorporating data sets that have never been extracted, that cannot be so many data points about your strategy, your competitors. You can't, being a data person, if you create AI, 
the people that get all hyped about like, oh, AI can do this and that, and it's going to totally take over. Like I, I met with someone who, who was saying, oh, he was actually a business leader. And he says, one day the jobs of business executives are going to be automated by AI. And I, I listened, I was like, oh, that's a very bold idea. And one of my friends who's also, you know, MIT researcher, postdoc, uh, data science guy who works at Google, we were discussing this and we're like, there's no way. Like, if you know data, you know there's no way that AI can ever replace the, uh, the creative tasks that human beings do. So there, lots of jobs will be automated away if they yeah. are repetitive, sequential, non-creative jobs. But if you do something where you are doing something that has never been done before, your job will never be automated. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing those. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. A lot of thoughts out there. But but what you said make, makes a lot of sense. Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about uh, how to structuring your AI product. Thank you, Cyrus. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this week's episode of PM Hub Podcast, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if you enjoyed it, definitely share on your social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it. Leave a five-star review so we can reach more audience. And if you have any suggestions, I'm totally open to it. You can reach out to me on social media. Uh, also subscribe to uh, make sure you never miss any of the upcoming episodes. I'm Cyrus Shirazian. And until next show, stay safe and healthy.